world waits for a miracle The heart longs for a little bit of hope Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel 1 Go ahead and take your Bibles and go to 1 John chapter 3. It's a section many of us know, one of those sections that never gets old. And in verse 1, it says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Lavished, I love that. The Father has lavished love on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him, Christ. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him for we shall see him as he is. Isn't that great? I love that. So we are children of God. Now, there's kind of a popular misconception about being children of God. There are some people that think that everybody is a child of God, right? And they even have verses in the Bible that seem to say that. If you guys know Acts 17, where it talks about Paul and the Athenians on Mars Hill, and he quotes that Greek poet, And the Greek poet says, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring, right? But this is really a general sense that that we are God's offspring in the fact that he created us. But when we talk about being a child of God, this is unique and wonderful, and he's our father. We're his children, okay? And this is very important. I think it's one of those truisms for Christianity that after a while we, we tend to get a little inured to, but we shouldn't. We should be thankful about it all the time. Only saved Christians are considered children of God. Okay, so look in First John chapter 5. First John chapter 5. And in verse 19 it says, We know that we are the children of God. And the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Interesting, huh? So here we have in complete polar opposites, the children of God and the entire world that lieth in darkness. Okay? Under the power of the evil one. Who's the evil one? Satan. Lucifer, right? When we talk about the world here, it's not talking about the planet Earth. Okay, a misconception that we had from the past. We're talking about the inhabited world. Okay, people, in other words. So when we talk about the world, we're talking about the cultures. We're talking about the systems of thought. We're talking about people. Okay, so the people of the world. Now, we learned uh, several weeks ago about sanctification. And remember in there, we talked about how uh, that the church... Those of us who are the children of God are part of a royal household. Remember that? That we are a holy people, okay? And that we are set apart for God. Just as in the Old Testament, Israel was set apart for God, the church is set apart for God, okay? Go to Acts chapter 26. Acts 26. This is Paul, and he's speaking to King Agrippa in Acts 26. And in verse 15, he says, now he's recounting his story, his conversion. Acts 26, verse 15, it says, Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The Lord said, Now get up 
and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. Verse 17, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them, verse 18, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Isn't that beautiful? All right, so so the Lord Jesus Christ is opening our eyes, and he's turning us from darkness to light, and he's turning us from the power of Satan to the power of God, right? This is a big deal. This is a fundamental change, all right? We are children of light, children of light. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and in verse 8, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Live as children of light. I was thinking we we were looking at a verse uh, several weeks ago in Peter, and the verse basically said, As Christians, how ought we to live? And this is the answer. That's children of light. We're supposed to live as children of light. Okay? James chapter 1. And look in verse 16. James 1, 16. It says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. And it says in the NIV of heavenly lights. It's not in the text. It's just coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change with shifting shadows okay god desired to have a family and his family has his nature okay he is light we are light every good and perfect gift comes from him and i like i think that's interesting where it says be not deceived so how do you think we could be deceived in this regard that we think that good and perfect gifts come from below or from the earth right or that God is not good, or he is not a God that gives good and perfect gifts, right? We know that Satan would like to deceive us in any of those regards, right? God doesn't change like the shifting shadows. We use the word immutable, right? So when we talk about God doesn't change, people want to say, so he does things the same way. No, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying here is that his character doesn't change, okay? that his character is immutable. He's not fickle, in other words, okay? And his commitment to his children is trustworthy. Go to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians 1. So God is the God of light. He's the father of lights. He gives good gifts to his children, and we are his children. Colossians 1, and look in verse 12, Colossians 1, 12. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. How about that? I love that. The kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of his son he loves. So we have two dominions, right? We have the dominion of darkness. We have the dominion of light. Okay, Satan rules over the dominion of darkness. It encompasses the entire world. But we are the children of God. We are the children of light. And we are supposed to walk in that light. Right? Very important. So God has qualified us for that, not we ourselves. So it's not your good works that are going to qualify you to be a child of light. But you do have to walk in it. Right? 
You have to walk it out. First John chapter one, look at verse five. It says, this is a message we have heard of him or from him and declare to you, God is light. God's light in him. There is no darkness at all. If we claim we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. So we have, we are children of light by our very nature, right? God made us children of light. And as we walk in the light, we walk in fellowship with God, right? That means that we can walk and talk with him. Verse seven. But if we walk in the light as he is light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I, I love that, right? We are to walk in the light as he is light. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Now, there is plenty of that going on. People who are Christians but never get around to repenting for anything, right? That They become a Christian, and they think that they have an automatic pass, and that their lives are perfect, and they never have to ask God for forgiveness. Well, I would say that they're not spending too much time with God, because the more time you spend with God, he's light, right? Are you all light? No, no, I'm not all light. So the more time I spend with God, what do I see? My own darkness. So I have plenty of opportunity to apologize to God. And see, this is this is the mark of a census religion. A census religion is satisfied with maybe performing for God, but not necessarily spending time with God. And those of us who have stood for a few years understand that repentance is a major part of the walk. What is repentance? It's a change of heart. It's uh, basically forsaking your sin, right? That we all have sin and we turn away from that sin. Part of turning away from that sin is that we confess that we have it, right? There's something about confessing with your mouth. Remember, we got saved. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. When you confess something, you're stating it. It's not just a thought that happens to run through your head. Now, whether you say it out loud or you, you say it to God in prayer, it's up to you. The point is, is that you are making a declaration. You're saying, I have sinned, okay? And I am turning from that sin. How many times do you get to do that? Well, the Bible says seven, seven times 70, right? I mean, we're not going to get it perfect the first time. And as I've talked about in this fellowship before, especially when we're working with, you know, addictions, you know, you, you try to shake off an addiction, you have the best intentions, and the next day you're right back at it. So God is long-suffering. He's working with us. We say, God, I'm sorry. Actually, it doesn't even say that you need to say you're sorry, but we know that we're supposed to have a contrite heart, right? And then we confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We do it again. We turn to God. Now, one of the things that God requires of us, though, is sincerity. I can't 
use God as a get out of jail free card, right? I can't go out with full intention of sinning knowing that God's going to let me off the hook. I mean, that's pretty insincere, right? This is for, you know, when I screw up, God's got me covered and I can continue to walk in fellowship with him. But sincerity is an important ingredient in our walk. When we come to God and we say, God, I forsake my sin, God's looking for sincerity. If you are insincere, it means nothing to him. Okay? Very important. Um, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3. And look in verse 7. Colossians 3, verse 7. It says, You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Let's stop and talk about that a little bit. What is filthy language from your lips? Uh, it could be what it what you think it is, right? Using foul language, okay? But as we know, God is a searcher of hearts. I've known people who never said a foul word, but said all kinds of vicious, mean, hurtful, unedifying things, right? So when we talk about filthy language, we need to qualify just a little bit. If I'm saying things, if I'm slandering people, if I'm maligning people, if I'm saying things that tear people down, that's filthy communication, isn't it? God doesn't like that. Verse 9, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices, your old self, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now, this is NIV, it's putting off the old man, putting on the new man, literally. Who is the old man? Adam, right? When you were born into this world, you were born a child of Adam. So we're unloading that. We're putting that off and we're putting on who? Who's the new man? Jesus Christ. That's right. We're putting on Christ. So putting off one and putting on the other. And it's deliberate. Okay. This is really the essence of what repentance is all about. You know, it's not sitting around reading your rosary beads. You can tell somebody else about it. You know, James said, confess your sins one to another, but not necessarily. Why would I confess my sin to somebody else? What's a good reason? To get help from them, yeah. If I need some counseling or I need some prayer, right? That's important. So these are important things that we have to keep in mind. We're supposed to confess our sin. We're supposed to put off and put on. And it's important that we do these things. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Isn't that something? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And just as you can't outgive God, you certainly can't outforgive God, right? I think that's very humbling. We want to hold people to the judgment, but we forget. Verse 14, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Isn't that wonderful? It binds compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience together in perfect unity right? It binds the body of Christ together in perfect unity. It's love. Verse 15, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Rule. I love that. We were talking earlier about kingdoms and dominion. Well, peace should have dominion in your heart. You should have a peaceful heart. Since as members of one body, you are called to peace. How about that? 
You're called to peace and be thankful. I was thinking about this, and we've talked about this in our fellowship before. Thankfulness is the antidote to discontent, right? That's a biggie. Along with pride and envy, discontent makes up the triumvirate of sin in this world. I mean, think about how much needless fighting has happened in this world due to discontent. The big three, pride, envy, and discontent. Discontent blinds us to the blessings of God, right? And all you're thinking about is what you don't have or what you can't do instead of thinking about what you do have. Of course, there is a time for us to, you know, say the situation now is just not satisfactory and things have got to change. No doubt about it. But there are people who feed on discontent. You see what I'm saying? And it's a spiritually loathsome way to be. Entire movements are built around discontent. He has something that you don't. Up until that point, somebody said that that person was just happy as a clam. And then somebody comes along and whispers in his ear, look at that guy over there. He has something that you don't. And all of a sudden, everything he has means nothing because he's envying this other person for what he has. And I always think about that painting of that little, little old man. And he's got his head bowed in prayer and a loaf of bread in front of him. He has nothing. And he's, you know, relatively compared to us. He has a loaf of bread and he's thankful for it. And he is more blessed in his heart than a person who owns Amazon and doesn't. Do you understand that? I mean, we have got to get our thinking changed on this. We, we live in a culture that is driven by discontent instead of thankfulness. We have a holiday, Thanksgiving, and it's a joke. It's Turkey Day for most people and football and shopping instead of thank you, God, for all that you did for us or, and, and continue to do for us. Thankfulness illuminates God's blessings in your life. If you're thankful for one thing, all of a sudden you start seeing other things that God has blessed you with. So you can take two people, right? Equally blessed. One person, he's discontented. He wants more and more and more. And then you have another person who's just blessed beyond measure because he recognizes that that's from God. That's how I want to be. I want to be that person. <laughs> I want to be that person who is just thankful for what I have. Thankful for not only what I have, but my family. How important is that? Or thankful for my friends. How, how important is that? I mean, that's something that to really, I think, an important quality to teach your kids is to be thankful for your friends. And it's interesting in the Bible that both faith and thankfulness go hand in hand. If you are discontented, you're also an unbeliever. Unbelief and discontent go hand in hand, right? Then it talks about peace, right? Let's talk a little bit about peace. In the New Testament, peace goes hand in hand with grace, doesn't it? All the epistles start off with grace and peace. Grace and peace. If you are a self-righteous and religious person, if you're all works-oriented, thinking that you have to work your way into God's goodness, you will never have peace. You will always feel discontented. Exactly. And most likely, you'll spend all your time running around blaming everybody else for it. That's how it works. You will have nothing but turmoil in your heart. That's one of the beautiful things about a person who just has finally given up the fight with God and has finally embraced peace. 
They're embracing peace because they finally figured out what grace means. And by the way, that's a lifelong journey, isn't it? (laughs) But grace and peace go hand in hand. Faith and peace go hand in hand. Unbelief and discontent go hand in hand. You see how that works? We're thankful for God. We're thankful for his grace. We're thankful for his blessings. Um, you don't have to turn there, but Second Peter 1, verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 2 says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. So as we learn more about God and learn more about Jesus Christ, we become more filled with grace, more filled with peace. We become much more peaceful. I want peace. I want peace in this day and time. Hold your finger here and go to Hebrews chapter 4. When look at verse 9, it says, There remains then a Sabbath day's rest for the people of God. This means peace, right? The Sabbath day's rest is just another way of saying peace. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own works, just as God did from his. So when you rest from your own works, that means that you are finally said, okay, God, I accept it. You gave it to me with no stipulation. You gave it to me freely, right? Now, what happens when somebody comes along and says, yeah, it's all grace, but you got to do this. And then this, what happens immediately, the believer starts losing his peace and it gets it gets uh, substituted with, with fear and with, you know, rivalry and everything else. Uh, verse 11, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. It's talking about the Jews of the Old Testament, right? Go back to where we were uh, in... Uh, Where were we? Colossians, yes. Um, So when we trust God and we cease from our own works, this is when we start to understand peace, when we start to get it. If you find yourself unpeaceful, consider whether or not you're trying to work for something that God has already given you. I think that's really important. I think peace is a vital ingredient for our families. We need peace. Lots and lots of peace. Lots and lots of grace. Lots and lots of mercy. Verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. I'll read that over again. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Isn't that beautiful, right? Gratitude in your hearts to God. God communicates with us through his word. Now, of course, we get word, you know, we'll get a word, a manifestation, absolutely. But most of God's communication is to us through his word, all right? So either we're reading it or we're listening to it, but we should be saturated with God's word. It's vital that we dwell in the word so that the word will dwell in us. So it's through this peace of God that rules our hearts and the word of God that dwells in us richly that we have wisdom that's required to teach and admonish. If you're an elder and you don't have peace and grace, you're not much of an elder. Verse 17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What does it mean to do something in the name of the Lord Jesus? It means that Jesus is your Lord, right? Same thing that the guy at work next to you is doing, but you're doing it to the Lord and he's doing it to make a paycheck, right? Whatever we do in word or deed, we do in the name of the Lord, okay? Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. So this is the correct walk. This is how we should be, right? 
We have embraced God. We've put on, put off darkness. We've put on light. We're children of light. First Timothy chapter four. It says in verse one, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. It's a pretty sobering verse, isn't it? In latter times, what's a deceiving spirit? Yeah, it's a a spirit. It gets you to the point where you think you're right, but you're wrong. Yes, there's a lot of that. You know, we were talking earlier about the self-righteous spirit, right? And I was thinking about the psychology of a self-righteous spirit. Now, a humble Christian, when something's pointed out to him, whether by God or another believer that he's doing wrong, he or she is doing wrong, what do they do? They repent. But when you're dealing with a self-righteous person, something is pointed out, this is something you're doing wrong, what do they do? They defend themselves. They blame others. They rewrite the narrative, right? That's how it works. Instead of repenting, they rewrite the, the narrative. And I think we've all done that, haven't we? I know I have. There's been situations where, you know, I'm in a, a situation with another person and, you know, I, I want to have to, I want to be able to look myself in the mirror the next day. So instead of coming clean and saying, well, I could have handled that better. I could have done that better. What do I do? I just say, you know, it was warranted in this situation to be like that. And so I rewrite the narrative. And what have I just told myself? A big fat lie, right? I think we need to, we need to call things as they are. I think, you know, think about this. If my righteousness isn't dependent upon my perfect walk, if my righteousness is given to me because of Christ, I can afford to change. I can afford to admit that I'm wrong on something, that my whole house of cards isn't going to come crashing down if I admit that I'm wrong. Does that make sense, everybody? There are people who build their entire life and they become very brittle, fragile. And you try to point something out to them and they immediately go on the defensive and they're shifting blame. And they're, instead of saying, thank you, I appreciate you pointing that out to me. And why is that? Because they have built this false construction of their lives. God wants to tear that whole thing down and rebuild. Repour that foundation. It's not built properly. You got to tear it down and rebuild it. And that's where these deceiving spirits get in. Deceiving spirits, they're, they're happy to accommodate you if you're looking for someone to blame other than yourself. So we have to be on guard about that because a person who starts building this false edifice in their lives so that they don't have to face themselves, after a while, they won't be facing themselves, will they? And they won't be facing God. It behooves us to be honest with ourselves. It behooves us. All right? Go to First Peter chapter 5. Now, it certainly takes courage to do that, doesn't it? I don't like admitting I'm wrong on something, but we got to be willing to do it. And when you do it, God guarantees and grace. Peace and grace. First Peter chapter 5. Look at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What makes it easier to admit that I failed because God cares for me? He loves me anyway. I can screw up royally and God still loves me. His love isn't diminished one bit. He completely loves me and he's by my side. 
I was thinking about that, uh, you know, the, the, the idea, you know, standing for somebody, you know, communicating to one of your friends or your wife, I stand for you, and how God in his word is constantly telling us, I stand for you. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, in Romans 8, right? Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Or what's that verse where it says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who shall lay anything? It is God that justifies. Do you see that? God stands for us. Let me read that over. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That means draw close to God. The only way that we're going to fight the devil is by, you know, sitting in our father's lap. If we think we're going to go out there and be all super spiritual, you've got another thing coming. That's uh, many of us got caught up in that, you know, being Mr. Uh, spiritual, you know, it's just not what it's all about. And remember that Satan usually shows up when you expect him the least, doesn't he? That's why it's important for us to stay in the word when we're off balanced when we don't have a lot of sleep or if we've gone out and had too many drinks or whatever, we open up. We're off balance and Satan knows it. So verse nine, resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. That's kind of comforting, isn't it? That you're not unique at the tough times you're going through. Other people are going through too. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. That's a comforting thought. You know, the idea this too will pass, right? You're going through a tough time, but there's going to be a day when this tough time is over and God will strengthen you. And the thing is, is that if you go through your tough season and you do it right, you come out stronger afterwards. Does that make sense, everybody? Look in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. Look in verse 22. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Again, the NIV translated this poorly. You're not putting off your old self. You're putting off your old man, this old nature, right? And you're putting on Christ. You're putting on Christ. In a, in a former ministry, we used to have a term, the renewed mind is the key to power. But this one was a good point, right? You're not going to get very far if you're not renewing your mind, if you're not putting Christ on in your mind. Because it's Christ in your mind, the Holy Spirit within you, the Word dwelling in you richly, the peace of God ruling your heart. This is where the believer's power kicks in, right? We have power. That's right. Hold every thought captive. Verse 25, it says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. That's easy to do, isn't it? You get angry. Those emotions get in there. You say things that you regret. How many times have we done that? 
Too many to count, for sure. So when you get angry, it doesn't say don't get angry, but when you do get angry, make sure that you keep a uh, uh, guard over your tongue, okay? Because once it comes out of your mouth, you can't take it back. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Boy, that's something. Don't give the devil a foothold. What does that mean? Well, you know, in the mil- in military, um, you know, say, uh, you know, like the Normandy invasion. And the, the uh, you know, the ships came over, the amphibian ships, and they, they landed on the shore and they tried to establish what was called a beachhead, right? And a beachhead is just an area that they can call their own. <laughs> And the idea is that because that through this beachhead they can expand into other areas, which you know from the Normandy invasion, that's exactly what they did. But the idea is to expand. Well, Satan does the same thing, right? He can establish a stronghold or a beachhead, right? A foothold. It says here in your life, and from that launching point, launch into other areas. Because think about it, if you can justify one sin, you can justify two. If you can justify two sins, you can justify four. And after a while, you're justifying all kinds of sin and calling it grace. But if you got honest with yourself, you'd recognize no peace. I have no peace, right? Something's wrong here. It says in verse 28, it says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. There's a what's called the Christian work ethic. Work! And when we get to work, we should work, right? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. There it is again, right? Unwholesome talk, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Are we speaking words of edification to one another? Or are we tearing each other down? Or, here's another one, are we just not saying things? I mean, how often should we say something and we don't, right? Think about that. It's in the first John where it says, if I have the world's good and I don't give it to a brother who has need, how can I say that the love of God dwells in me, right? There's a lot of times where we know somebody just needs a, you know, an attaboy or you know, good job, and we don't give them to them for some kind of stupid spite or whatever. Well, that's not very loving. I think if we if we think long and hard about it, I mean, you know, I Mike Tomerlin <laughs> wrote me a little note years ago, years ago, and I have it sitting by my bedside. It was it was just a word of edification. You know, this is what I see in you. I think we need that. We all need that. This is what I see in you. And it takes sincerity, right? To look a, look a person in the eye and sincerely tell them, you know, I, I think this of you. I'll tell you, there are a few things that, that help a person grow more than to say things like that. Words of edification. That we catch one another doing the right thing instead of catching one another doing the wrong thing, right? That's, those are people I want to surround myself with. You know, somebody who says, hey, man, You did a great job on that. That was excellent. You know what I mean? Instead of, there you go again, you blew it. I mean, I I can get filled up with, you know, that pretty quickly. But you can't fill me up enough by saying, great job, or, you know, I really appreciate you, you know, and, you know, you're important to me. We need a lot of that. You know, there was this 
this book called uh, Five Love Languages. I've talked about it in fellowship before. You know, um, one love language is, you know, gifts. Another one is services. Another one is affirmations. Another one is um, physical touch. And I can't remember what the fifth one is. But anyway, I'm, a, I'm an affirmation kind of guy. I like somebody saying, good job. That means a lot to me. And uh, it's it's, you know... Some people don't need it as much as others. And, you know, and, and on the same token, we shouldn't be dependent upon that, right? Because you can get ad- addicted, you know, you start following people around who, who uh, give you that word of affirmation. That's not good. But you get what I'm saying. It's, it's edification. God edifies us in manifestations. So we should edify one another. I'll make that point again. We need to get into the habit of catching each other doing the right thing, the right thing. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, okay, so when I got saved, I received Holy Spirit from God. I became born again, right? I changed natures. So now I have this new nature, but I have my old habits. So I can you know, I've got a choice. God will never override your freedom of will. And I have a choice. I can either walk according to this new rule or walk according to the old rule. If I walk according to the old nature, but I have within me the new nature, I'm grieving that new nature. Does that make sense to everybody? The new nature wants to spread its wings and fly. And I keep saying, nope, I'm a turtle. Uh... And and by the way, I love that where it says you are sealed for the day of redemption. That's one of those verses where, you know, when people come along and say you can lose your salvation. Nope, I cannot. I'm sealed unto the day of redemption. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. How about that? So we read that earlier in Colossians. This is Ephesians. So same thing, right? We're not body, selfish, comparing ourselves to everybody. We're kind to people. I love kindness. Genuine kindness, there's nothing better. I think it's awesome. Go to Philippians chapter 4. But, you know, before we do anything, before we, you know, complete any action, We need to have the appropriate thought life behind it. Uh, Philippians 4, look in verse 8. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things, on such things. Isn't that great? Think about them. Use your mind. You know, it's kind of hard if you're thinking envious or hateful thoughts to be loving. What does it say in the, in uh, the word? You know, does fresh water or does uh, contaminated water come out of a, a well, a fresh well? You know that. You know you've you've got to think about it. If you're going to, what's that old proverb? What's down in the well comes up in the bucket, right? If you're thinking dark, um, just you know, you're not thinking well of people or you're holding grudges, or you're resentful, it's going to bubble up. If in no other way than just if you do try to say something nice to that person, it comes across as completely insincere, right? And people know that. They can pick that up. 
But if every time you see this certain individual, you say, God, thank you for them. You know, I, I'm blessed to have this person in my life. Then when you do open your mouth to that person to say something kind, it's going to be sincere. You mean it, right? And we need to get rid of this duplicity in our lives where we think one thing and say something else. God isn't looking for us just to be, you know, puppets for him. He wants us to, you know, this stuff to be in our hearts. Verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of what? Peace will be with you. How about that? So isn't that wonderful that peace comes from that your inner spirit matches your exterior, how you deal with people, right? Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians 6, and in verse 10, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Now, remember what I said, you know, if you're carrying around a lot of resentment, if you're carrying around a lot of, you know, bad thinking for people, it renders you weak. You are never going to be able to be strong in the Lord. You just can't. You're going to be weak. You're going to be duplicitous. Does everybody understand what duplicitous means? That you're going to be double-souled, it says in the Bible, right? Double-souled. You're going to be divided. And what does the Bible say, you know, about the, the man who is divided? He is unstable in all his ways. I don't want to be unstable. I want to be single-souled when I deal, deal with people, right? Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of, of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. How about that? That's something, isn't it? That this is a fight. It's a spiritual fight. And we need to recognize that if I'm a child of light, right, spiritually, I'm a child of light, then that changes the whole dynamic, doesn't it? That, you know, what do we tend to do when we get into a beef with somebody? We take it personally, right? But we need to learn to kind of depersonalize it and recognize that, you know, now that doesn't preclude that you don't have complicity. <laughs> I mean, you can still be a jerk and be a Christian, right? <laughs> Because you're a child of light doesn't mean that you're never a jerk. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that when you are doing your level best to do the right thing and you're constantly, you know, taking it on the chin, being accused by, you know, we know that we're being accused by the accuser, right? And see, that's, that's his ploy, isn't it? To, to sucker you into doing something wrong and then heaping accusations on you because he can bury you that way, right? That's why it's important for us to do our best to be consistent in our walks, right? We, we are or dis, uh, we disarm ourselves by the thoughts we hold in our minds. It's important that we hold the right things. If we hold bitterness, unforgiveness, self-righteousness, anger, and resentment, we render ourselves powerless in this spiritual fight. If we go around blaming everybody but ourselves, well, that may look good to other people, God's not fooled, and neither is the devil. He knows the truth, right? So just be honest. Be honest. If you messed up, say sorry, God, and get it right. And remember, it's the peace of God ruling our hearts and the word of God dwelling in our hearts that we are able to stand. Another quality I was thinking about this, mor this morning for engaging in warfare is what? Courage. We've got to be courageous. We've got to be able to uh, be courageous when facing God, right? He's light in him. There's no darkness. That, that takes a little courage. 
Facing the devil. That takes some courage. How about facing yourself? That takes some courage, right? Getting rid of those personal myths that you have, those little things that you tell yourself so you feel good. Um, yeah, facing the darkness in our own lives. And then remember, too, in this spiritual fight that it's easy to see the splinter in somebody else's eye. It's a lot more difficult to see that big old telephone pole sticking out of your own eye, right? It's not so easy. We must be courageous and truthful with ourselves that I am a sinner. I'm a sinner, but I'm doing my best to be better and better. And the Lord is just patient as heck to, to stand with me. Verse 13, it says, Therefore, put on the whole or the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Isn't that great? The devil's going to try to blow you over. He's going to either try to seduce you or he's going to try to accuse you. One of the two, right? Or whatever. I mean, it's pleasure and pressure, actually. He'll either try to get you through pleasuring you off your walk or pressuring you off your walk. And both of them are imposters, and you have to treat them as imposters, right? Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. This is a metaphor, right? So we have truth. Truth girds us. It girds us in our, you know, our loins area with the breastplate of righteousness in place. It protects our hearts. So if you realize that God made you righteous, so when the, the enemy comes along and says, you're nothing but a, right, with his darts, my breastplate stops him. Your feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Isn't that great? That we can use the Word of God as our weapon in the spiritual fight. In verse 18, it says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. I love that. I love that. That words will be given me, right? You think that, uh, you think Paul had a pretty sizable compendium of scripture that he could rely upon? Yeah, he did. But he wasn't relying on his dictionary. He was re relying on his relationship with God, that God or the Lord Jesus Christ was giving him everything he needed, right? That's important. We need to stay spiritual in this spiritual fight, okay? So, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for that. We thank you, Father, for blessing this fellowship. We thank you, Father, that we can be humble servants, that, Father, that we can put aside our pride, put aside our... Uh, just our, just this relentless self-justification, Father, and just be blessed with you and blessed. I'd rather be wrong in you than right not. So it's very important, Father. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you, Father, for giving us patience with ourselves and patience with others. And, and uh, Father, thank you that we can stand strong and stand against this evil one who is consistently and relentlessly coming against us. Thank you for these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. A child prays for peace on earth, and she's calling now from a sea of hurt. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. 
cracks with the tears of a mother A baby's cry hears the sound of a love Come down, come down, Emmanuel Amen.